chapter eighteen of ardath by marie corelli this librivox recording is in the public domain the love that kills how the time went he could not tell in so gay and gorgeous a scene hours might easily pass with the swiftness of unmarked moments peals of laughter echoed now and again through the vaulted dome and excited voices were frequently raised in clamorous disputations and contentious arguments that only just sheared off the boundary line of an actual quarrel all sorts of topics were discussed the laws the existing mode of government the latest discoveries in science and the military prowess of the king but the conversation chiefly turned on the spread of disloyalty atheism and republicanism among the population of alciris and the influence of coast rule on the minds of the lower classes the episode of the prophet's late capture and fresh escape seemed to be perfectly well known to all present though it had occurred so recently one would have thought the detailed account of it had been received through some private telephone communicating with the king's palace as the banquet progressed and the wine flowed more lavishly the assembled guests grew less and less circumspect in their general behaviour they flung themselves full length on their luxurious couches in the laziest attitudes now pulling out handfuls of flowers from the tall porcelain jars that stood near and pelting one another with them for mere idle diversion now summoning the attendant slaves to refill their wine-cups while they lay lounging at ease among their heaped-up cushions of silk and embroidery and yet with all the voluptuous freedom of their manners the picturesque grace that distinguished them was never wholly destroyed these young men were dissolute but not coarse bold but not vulgar they took their pleasure in a delicately wanton fashion that was infinitely more dangerous in its influence on the mind than would have been the gross mirth and broad jesting of a similar number of uneducated plebeians the rude licentiousness of an uncultivated boar has its safety valve in disgust and satiety but the soft enervating sensualism of a trained and cultured epicurean aristocrat is a moral poison whose effects are so insidious as to be scarcely felt till all the native nobility of character has withered and naught is left of a man but the shadow-wreck of his former self there was nothing repulsive in the half-ironical half mischievous merriment of these patrician revellers their witticisms were brilliant and pointed but never indelicate and if their darker passions were roused and ready to run riot they showed as yet no sign of it they enjoyed yes with that selfish animal enjoyment and love of personal indulgence which all men old and young without exception take such delight in unless indeed they be sworn and sorrowful anchorites and even then you may be sure they are always regretting the easy license and libertinage of their bygone days of unbridled independence when they could foster their pet weaknesses cherish their favourite vices and laugh at all creeds and all morality as though divine justice were a mere empty name and they themselves the super-essence of creation ah what a ridiculous spectacle is man the two-legged pygmy of limited brain and still more limited sympathies that standing arrogantly on his little grave the earth coolly criticizes the universe settles law and measures his puny stature against that awful unknown force deeply hidden but majestically existent 
which for want of ampler designation we call god god whom some of us will scarcely recognize save with the mixture of doubt levity and general reluctance god whom we never obey unless obedience is enforced by calamity god whom we never truly love because so many of us prefer to stake our chances of the future on the possibility of his non-existence strangely enough thoughts of this god this despised and forgotten creator came wandering hazily over theosa's mind at the present moment when glancing round the splendid banquet-table he studied the different faces of all assembled and saw self 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 indelibly impressed on every one of them not a single countenance was there that did not openly betray the complacent hauteur and tranquil vanity of absolute egotism saluma's especially but then saluma had something to be proud of his genius it was natural that he should be satisfied with himself he was a great man but was it well for even a great man to admire his own greatness this was a pertinent question and somewhat difficult to answer a genius must surely be more or less conscious of his superiority to those who have no genius yet why may it not happen on occasions that the so-called fool shall teach a lesson to the so-called wise man then where is the wise man's superiority if a fool can instruct him theos found these suggestions curiously puzzling they seemed simple enough and yet they opened up a vista of intricate disquisition which he was in no humour to follow to escape from his own reflections he began to pay close attention to the conversation going on around him and listened with an eager almost painful interest whenever he heard lycia's sweet languid voice chiming through the clatter of men's tongues like the silver stroke of a small bell ringing in a storm at sea and how hast thou left thy pale beauty nephrata she was asking saluma in half cold half caressing accents does her singing still charm thee as of yore i understand thou hast given her her freedom is that prudent was she not safer as thy slave saluma glanced up quickly in surprise safer she is as safe as a rose in its green sheath he replied what harm should come to her i spoke not of harm said lycia with a lazy smile but the day may come good minstrel when thy sheathed rose may seek some newer sunshine than thy face when thy much poesy may pall upon her spirit and thy love-songs grow stale and she may string her harp to a different tune than the perpetual adoration hymn of saluma the handsome laureate looked amused let her do so then he laughed carelessly were she to leave me i should not miss her greatly a thousand pieces of gold will purchase me another voice as sweet as hers another maid is fair meanwhile the child is free to shape her own fate her own future i bind her no longer to my service nevertheless like the jessamine flower she clings and will not easily unwind the tendrils of her heart from mine poor jessamine flower murmured lycia negligently with a touch of malice in her tone what a rock it doth embrace how little vantage ground it hath wherein to blossom and her drowsy eyes shot forth a fiery glance from under their heavily fringed drooping white lids saluma met her look with one of mingled vexation and reproach she smiled and raising a goblet of wine to her lips kissed the brim and gave it to him with an indescribably graceful swaying gesture of her whole form that reminded one of a tall white lily bowing in the breeze he seized the cup eagerly drank from it and returned it his momentary annoyance whatever it was passed 
and a joyous elation illumined his fine features then lycia refilling the cup kissed it again and handed it to theos with so much soft animation and tenderness in her face as she turned to him that his enforced calmness nearly gave way and he had much ado to restrain himself from falling at her feet in a transport of passion and crying out love me o thou sorceress sovereign of beauty love me if only for an hour and then let me die for i shall have lived out all the joys of life in one embrace of thine his hand trembled as he took the goblet and he drank half its contents thirstily then imitating saluma's example he returned it to her with a profound salutation her eyes dwelt meditatively upon him what a dark still melancholy countenance is thine sir theos she said abruptly thou art for sure a man of strongly repressed and concentrated passions tis a nature i love i would there were more of thy proud and chilly temperament in alciris our men are like velvet-winged butterflies drinking honey all day and drowsing in sunshine full to the brows of folly frail and delicate as the little dancing maidens of the king's seraglio nervous too with weak heads that are apt to ache on small provocation and bodies that are apt to fail easily when but slightly fatigued ay thou art a man clothed complete in manliness moreover she paused and leaning forward so that the dark shower of her perfumed hair brushed his arm hast ever heard travellers talk of volcanoes those marvellous mountains that oft wear crowns of ice on their summits and yet hold unquenchable fire in their depths methinks thou dost resemble these and that at a touch the flames would leap forth uncontrolled her magical low voice more melodious in tone than the sound of harps played by moonlight on the water thrilled in his ears and set his pulses beating madly with an effort he checked the torrent of love words that rushed to his lips and looked at her in a sort of wildly wondering appeal her laughter rang out in silvery sweet ripples and throwing herself lazily back in her throne she called izith izith the great tigress instantly bounded forward like an obedient hound and placed its forepaws on her knees while she playfully held a sugared comfit high above its head up izith up she cried mirthfully up and be like a man for once snatch thy pleasure at all hazards with a roar the savage brute leaped and sprang its sharp white teeth fully displayed its sly green eyes glisteningly prominent and again lycia's rich laughter pealed forth mingling with the impatient snarls of her terrific favourite still she held the tempting morsel in her little snowy hand that glittered all over with rare gems and still the tigress continued to make impotent attempts to reach it growing more and more ferocious with every fresh effort till all at once she shut her palm upon the dainty so that it could not be seen and lightly catching the irritated beast by the throat brought its eyes on a level with her own the effect was instantaneous a strong shudder passed through its frame and it cowered and crouched lower and lower in abject fear the sweat broke out and stood in large drops on its sleek hide and panting heavily as the firm grasp its mistress slowly relaxed it sank down prone in trembling abasement on the second step of the dais still looking up into those densely brilliant gazelle eyes that were full of such deadly fascination and merciless tyranny good izith said lycia then in that languid soft voice that while so sweet 
suggested hidden treachery gentle fondling thou hast fairly earned thy reward here take it and unclosing her roseate palm she showed the desired bonne bouche and offered it with a pretty coaxing air but the tigress now refused to touch it and lay as still as an animal of painted stone what a true philosopher she is my sweet izit she went on amusedly stroking the creature's head her feminine wit teaches her what the dull brains of men can never grasp namely that pleasures no matter how sweet turn to ashes and wormwood when once obtained and that the only happiness in this world is the charm of desire there is a subject for thee saluma write an immortal ode on the mysteries the delights the never-ending ravishment of desire but carry not thy fancy on to desire's fulfilment for there thou shalt find infinite bitterness the soul that wilfully gratifies its dearest wish has stripped life of its supremest joy and stands thereafter in an emptied sphere sorrowful and alone with nothing left to hope for nothing to look forward to save death the end of all ambition nay fair lady said theo suddenly we who deem ourselves the children of the high gods and the offspring of a spirit eternal may surely aspire to something beyond this death that like a black seal closes up the brief scroll of our merely human existence and to us therefore ambition should be ceaseless for if we master the world there are yet more worlds to win and if we find one heaven we do but accept it as a pledge of other heavens beyond it the aspirations of man are limitless hence his best assurance of immortality else why should he perpetually long for things that here are impossible of attainment things that like faint floating clouds rimmed with light suggest without declaring a glory unperceived lycia looked at him steadfastly an undergleam of malice shining in her slumberous eyes why because good sir the gods love mirth and the wanton immortals are never more thoroughly diverted than when leaning downward from their clear empyrean they behold man their insect toy arrogating to himself a share in their imperishable essence to keep up the eternal jest they torture him with vain delusions and prick him on with hopes never to be realized ay and the whole vast heaven may well shake with thunderous laughter at the pride with which he doth put forth his puny claim to be elected to another and fairer state of existence what hath he done what does he do to merit a future life are his deeds so noble is his wisdom so great is his mind so stainless he the oppressor of all nature and of his brother man he the insolent self-opinionated tyrant yet bound slave of the earth on which he dwells why should he live again and carry his ignoble presence into the splendours of an eternity too vast for him to comprehend nay nay i perceive thou art one of the credulous for whom a reasonless worship to an unproved deity is for the sake of state policy maintained i had thought thee wiser but no matter thou shalt pay thy vows to the shrine of nagaya to-morrow and see with what glorious pomp and panoply we impose on the faithful who like thee believe in their own deathless and divinely constituted natures and enjoy to the full the grand conceit that persuades them of their right to immortality her words carried with them a certain practical positiveness of meaning and theos was somewhat impressed by their seeming truth after all it was a curious and unfounded conceit of a man to imagine himself the possessor of an immortal soul 
and yet if all things were the outcome of a divine creative influence was it not unjust of that creative influence to endow all humanity with such a belief if it had no foundation whatever and could injustice be associated with divine law he theos for instance was certain of his own immortality so certain that surrounded as he was by this brilliant company of evident atheists he felt himself to be the only real and positive existing being among an assembly of shadow figures but it was not the time or the place to enter into a theological discussion especially with lycia and for the moment at least he allowed her assertions to remain uncontradicted he sat however in a somewhat stern silence now and then glancing wistfully and anxiously at saluma on whom the potent wines were beginning to take effect and who had just thrown himself down on the dais at lycia's feet close to the tigress that still lay couched there in immovable quiet it was a picture worthy of the grandest painter's brush that glistening throne black as jet with the fair form of lycia shining within it like a white sea-nymph at rest in a grotto of ocean stalactites the fantastically attired negresses on each side with their waving peacock plumes the vivid carnation colour of the dais against which the black and yellow stripes of the tigress showed up in strong and brilliant contrast and the graceful jewel-decked figure of the poet laureate who half sitting half reclining on a black velvet cushion leaned his handsome head indolently against the silvery folds of lycia's robe and looked up at her with eyes in which burned the ardent admiration and scarcely restrained passion of a privileged lover suddenly and quite involuntarily theos thought of nephrata alas poor maiden how utterly her devotion to saluma was wasted what did he care for her timid tenderness her unselfish worship nothing less than nothing he was entirely absorbed by the sovereign peerless beauty of this wonderful high priestess this witch-like weaver of spells more potent than those of circe and musing thereon theos was sorry for nephrata he knew not why he felt that she had somehow been wronged that she suffered and that he as well as saluma was in some mysterious way to blame for this though he could by no means account for his own share in the dimly suggested reproach this peculiar remorseful emotion was transitory like all the vaguely incomplete ideas that travelled mistily through his perplexed brain and he soon forgot it in the increasing animation and interest of the scene that immediately surrounded him the general conversation was becoming more and more noisy and the laughter more and more boisterous several of the young men were now very much the worse for their frequent libations and nerjalis particularly began again to show marked symptoms of an inclination to break loose from all the bonds of prudent reserve he lay full length on his silk divan his feet touching theos who sat upright and singing little snatches of song to himself he pulled the vine wreath from his tumbled fair locks as though he found it too weighty and flung it on the ground among the other debris of the feast then folding his arms lazily behind his head he stared straight and fixedly before him at lycia seeming to note every jewel on her dress every curve of her body every slight gesture of her hand every faint cold smile that played on her lovely lips one young man whom the others addressed as ormaz a haughty handsome fellow enough though with rather a sneering mouth just visible under his black moustache was talking somewhat excitedly on the subject of coast rules cunningly devised flight for it seemed to be universally understood that the venerable prophet was one of the circle of mystics person whose knowledge of science especially in matters connected with electricity enabled them to perform astonishing juggleries 
that were frequently accepted by the uninitiated vulgar as almost divine miracles not very long ago according to ormaz who was animatedly recalling the circumstance for the benefit of the company the words fall al had appeared emblazoned in letters of fire on the sky at midnight and the phenomenon had been accompanied by two tremendous volleys of thunder to the infinite consternation of the multitude who received it as a supernatural manifestation but a member of the king's privy council a satirical sceptic and mistrust of everybody's word but his own undertook to sift the matter and adopting the dress of the mystics managed to introduce himself into one of their secret assemblies where with considerable astonishment he saw them make use of a small wire by means of which they wrote in characters of azure flame on the whiteness of a blank wall moreover he discovered that they possessed a lofty turret built secretly and securely in a deep unfrequented grove of trees from whence with the aid of various curious instruments and reflectors they could fling out any pattern or device they chose on the sky so that it should seem to be written by the finger of lightning having elucidated these mysteries and become highly edified thereby the learned counsellor returned to the king and gave full information as to the result of his researches whereupon forty mystics were at once arrested and flung into prison for life and their nefarious practices were made publicly known to all the inhabitants of the city since then no so-called spiritual demonstrations had taken place till now when on this very night zephyronum's presence chamber had been suddenly enveloped in the thunderous and terrifying darkness which had so successfully covered coast rule's escape the king should have slain him at once declared ormaz emphatically turning to lycia as he spoke i am surprised that his majesty permitted so flagrant an impostor and trespasser of the law to speak one word or live one moment in his royal presence thou art surprised ormaz at most things especially those which savour of simple good-nature and forbearance responded lycia coldly thou art a wolfish youth and wouldst tear thine own brother to shreds if he thwarted thy pleasure for myself i see little cause for astonishment that a soldier hero like zephyronum should take some pity on so frail and aged a wreck of human wit as coast rule coast rule blasphemes the faith what then do ye not all blaspheme not in the open streets said ormaz hastily no ye have not the medal for that and lycia smiled darkly while the great eye on her breast flashed forth a sardonic lustre strong as ye all are and young ye lack the bravery of the weak old man who mad as he may be has at least the courage of his opinions who is there here that believes in the sun as a god or in nagaya as a mediator not one but ye are cultured hypocrites all and careful to keep your heresies secret and thou lycia suddenly cried nerjalus why if thou canst so liberally admire the valour of thy sworn enemy kosrul why dost not thou step boldly forth and abjure the faith thou art priestess of yet in thy heart deridest as a miserable superstition she turned her splendid flashing orb slowly upon him what an awful chill steely glitter leaped forth from their velvet soft depths prithee be heedful of thy speech good nerjalus she said with a quiver in her voice curiously like the suppressed snarl of her pet tigress the majority of men are fools like thee and need to be ruled according to their folly ormaz broke into a laugh and thou dost rule them wise virgin with a rod of iron he said satirically the king himself is but a slave in thy hands the king is a devout believer remarked a dainty effeminate-looking youth arrayed in a wonderfully picturesque garb of glistening purple he pays his vows to nagaya three times a day at sunrise noon and sunset and tis said he 
hath oft been seen of late in silent meditation alone before the sacred veil even after midnight maybe he is there at this very moment offering up a royal petition for those of his less pious subjects who like ourselves love good wine more than long prayers ah he is a most austere and noble monarch a very anchorite and pattern of strict religious discipline and he shook his head to and fro with an air of mock solemn fervour every one laughed and ormaz playfully threw a cluster of half-crushed roses at the speaker hold thy foolish tongue farnham he said the king doth but show a fitting example to his people there is a time to pray and a time to feast and our zephyronim can do both as becomes a man but of his midnight meditations i have heard naught since when hath he deserted his court of love for the colder chambers of the sacred temple ask lycia muttered nergalus drowsily under his breath she knows more of the king than she cares to confess his words were spoken in a low voice and yet they were distinct enough for all present to hear a glance of absolute dismay went round the table and a breathless silence followed like the ominous hush of a heated atmosphere before a thunderclap nergalus apparently struck by the sudden stillness looked lazily round from among the tumbled cushions where he reclined a vacant tipsy smile on his lips what a company of mutes ye are he said thickly did ye not hear me i bade ye ask lycia and all at once he sat bolt upright his face crimsoning as with an access of passion ask lycia he repeated loudly ask her why the mighty zephyronim creeps in and out the sacred temple at midnight like a skulking slave instead of a king at midnight when he should be shut within his palace walls playing the fool among his women i warrant tis not piety that persuades him to wander through the underground passage of the tombs alone and in disguise saluma pretty pampered hound as thou art thou art near enough to our lady of witcheries ask her ask her she knows and his voice sank into an incoherent murmur she knows more than she cares to confess another deep and death-like pause ensued and then lycia's silvery cold tones smote the profound silence with calm clear resonance friend nergalus she said how tuneful were her accents how chilly sweet her smile methinks thou art grown altogether too wise for this world tis pity thou shouldst continue to linger in so narrow and incomplete a sphere depart hence therefore i shall freely excuse thine absence since thy hour has come and taking from the table at her side a tall crystal chalice fashioned in the form of a lily set on a golden stem she held it up toward him starting wildly from his couch he looked at her as though doubting whether he had heard her words aright a strong shudder shook him from head to foot his hands clenched themselves convulsively together and then slowly slowly he staggered to his feet and stood upright he was suddenly but effectually sober the flush of intoxication died off his cheeks and his eyes grew strained and piteous theos watching him in wondering fear saw his broad chest heave with the rapid drawn gasping of his breath he advanced a step or two then all at once stretched out his hands in imploring agony lycia he murmured huskily lycia pardon spare me for the sake of past love have pity at this saluma sprang up from his lounging posture on the dais his hand on the hilt of his dagger his whole face flaming with wrath by my soul he cried what doth this fellow prate of past love thou profane boaster how darest thou speak of love to the priestess of the faith nergalus heeded him not his eyes were fixed on lycia like the eyes of a tortured animal 
who vainly seeks for mercy at the hand of its destroyer step by step he came hesitatingly to the foot of her throne and it was then that theos perceived near at hand a personage he immediately recognized the black scarlet-clad slave gazia who had brought lycia's message to saluma that same afternoon he had made his appearance now so swiftly and silently that it was impossible to tell where he had come from and he stood close to nergalus his muscular arms folded tightly across his chest and his hideous mouth contorted into a grin of cruel amusement and expectancy absolute quiet reigned within the magnificent banquet hall the music had ceased and not a sound could be heard save the delicate murmur of the wind outside swaying the water-lilies on the moonlit lake every one's attention was centred on the unhappy young man who with lifted head and rigidly clasped hands faced lycia as a criminal faces a judge lycia whose dazzling smile beamed upon him with the brightness of summer sunbeams lycia whose exquisite voice lost none of its richness as she spoke his doom by the vow which thou hast vowed to me nergalus she said slowly and by thine oath sworn on the symbolic eye of raphan here she touched the dreadful jewel on her breast which bound thy life to my keeping and thy death to my day of choice i herewith bestow on thee the chalice of oblivion the silver nectar of peace sleep and wake no more drink and die the gateways of the kingdom of silence stand open to receive thee thy service is finished fare thee well with the utterance of the last word she gave him the glittering cup she held he took it mechanically and for one instant glared about him on all sides scanning the faces of the attentive guests as though in the faint hope of some pity some attempt to rescue but not a single look of compassion was bestowed upon him save by theos who full of struggling amazement and horror would have broken out into indignant remonstrance had not an imperative glance from saluma warned him that any interference on his part would only make matters worse he therefore sorely against his will and only for saluma's sake kept silence watching nergalus meanwhile in a sort of horrible fascination there was something truly awful in the radiant unquenchable laughter that lurked in lycia's lovely eyes something positively devilish in the grace of her manner as with a negligent movement she reseated herself in her crystal throne and taking a knot of magnolia flowers that lay beside her idly toyed with their creamy buds all the while keeping her basilisk gaze fixed immovably and relentlessly on her sentenced victim he grasping the lily-shaped chalice convulsively in his right hand looked up despairingly to the polished dome of malachite with its revolving globe of fire that shed a solemn blood-red glow upon his agonized young face a smile was on his lips the dreadful smile of desperate maddened misery o oh, ye malignant gods he cried fiercely ye immortal furies that made woman for man's torture bear witness to my death bear witness to my parting spirit's malediction cursed be they who love unwisely and too well cursed be all the wiles of desire and the haunts of dear passion cursed be all fair faces whose fairness lures men to destruction cursed be the warmth of caresses the beating of heart against heart the kisses that colour midnight with fire cursed be love from birth unto death may its sweetness be brief and its bitterness endless its delight a snare and its promise treachery o ye mad lovers fools all and he turned his splendid wild eyes round on the hushed assemblage despise me of my words as ye will throughout ages to come the curse of the dead nergalus shall cling he lifted the goblet to his lips and just then his delirious glance lighted on saluma i drink to thee sir laureate he said hoarsely and with a ghastly attempt at levity 
seeing as sweetly as thou wilt thou must drain the same cup ere long and without another second's hesitation he drank off the entire contents of the chalice at a draught scarcely had he done so when with a savage scream he fell prone on the ground his limbs twisted in acute agony his features hideously contorted his hands beating the air wildly as though in contention with some invisible foe while in strange and terrible dissonance with his tortured cries lycia's laughter musically mellow broke out in little quick peals like the laughter of a very young child ah ah nerjala she exclaimed thou dost suffer that is well i do rejoice to see thee fighting for life in the very jaws of death fain would i have all men thus tortured out of their proud and tyrannous existence their strength made strengthless their arrogance brought to naught their egotism and vainglory beaten to the dust ah ah thou that wert the complacent braggart of love the self-sufficient proclaimer of thine own prowess where is thy boasted vigour now writhe on good fool thy little day is done all honour to the silver nectar whose venom never fails leaning forward eagerly she clapped her hands in a sort of fierce ecstasy and apparently startled by the sound the tigress rose up from its couchant posture and shaking itself with a snarling yawn glared watchfully at the convulsed human wretch whose struggles became with each moment more and more frightful to witness the impassive cold-blooded calmness with which all the men present even saluma looked on at the revolting spectacle of their late comrade's torture filled theos with shuddering abhorrence sick at heart he strove to turn away his eyes from the straining throat and upturned face of the miserable nerjalis a face that had a moment or two before been beautiful but was now so disfigured as to be almost beyond recognition presently as the anguish of the poisoned victim increased shriek after shriek broke from his pallid lips rolling himself on the ground like a wild beast he bit his hands and arms in his frenzy till he was covered with blood and again and yet again the dulcet laughter of the high priestess echoed through the length and breadth of the splendid hall and even saluma the poet saluma condescended to smile that smile so cold so cruel so unpitying made theos for a moment hate him of what use he thought was it to be a writer of soft and delicate verse if the inner nature of the man was merciless selfish and utterly regardless of the woes of others the rest of the guests were profoundly indifferent they kept silence it is true but they went on drinking their wine with perfectly unabated enjoyment they were evidently accustomed to such scenes the attendant slaves stood all mute and motionless with the exception of gazra who surveyed the torments of nerjalis with an air of professional interest and appeared to be waiting till they should have reached that pitch of excruciating agony when nature exhausted gives up the conflict and welcomes death as a release from pain but this desirable end was not yet suddenly springing to his feet nerjalis tore open his richly jewelled vest and pressed his two hands hard upon his heart the veins in his flesh were swollen and blue his laboured breath seemed as though it must break his ribs in its terrible panting struggle his face livid and lined with purple marks like heavy bruises bore not a single trace of its former fairness and his eyes rolled up and fixed glassily in their quivering sockets seemed to be dreadfully filled with the speechless memory of his lately spoken curse he staggered toward theos and dropped heavily on his knees kill me he moaned piteously feebly pointing to the sheathed dagger in the other's belt in mercy kill me one thrust release me this agony is more than i can bear kill kill his voice died away in an inarticulate gasping cry and theo stared down upon him in dizzy fear and horror for he had seen this same nerjalis dying thus cruelly before o oh god where where had this tragedy been previously enacted bewildered and overcome with unspeakable dread he drew his dagger he would at least he thought put the tortured sufferer out of his misery but scarcely had his weapon left the sheath when lycia's clear cold voice exclaimed disarm him 
and with the silent rapidity of a lightning flash gosra glided to his side and the steel was snatched from his hand full of outraged pride and wrath he sprang up a torrent of words rushing to his lips but before he could utter one two slaves pounced upon him and holding his arms dexterously wound a silk scarf tight about his mouth be silent whispered someone in his ear as you value your life and the life of saluma be silent but he cared nothing for this warning reckless of consequences he tore the scarf away and breaking loose from the hands that held him made a bound toward lycia here he paused her eyes met his languidly shedding a sombre mysterious light upon him through the black shower of her abundant hair the evil glitter of the great symbolic gem she wore fixed him with its stony yet mesmeric lustre a delicious smile parted her roseate lips and breaking off a magnolia bud from the cluster she held she kissed and gave it to him be at peace good theo she said in a low tender tone beware of taking up arms in the defence of the unworthy rather reserve thy courage for those who know how best to reward thy service as one in a trance he took the flowers she offered his fragrance subtle and sweet seemed to steal into his veins and robbed his manhood of all strength sinking submissively at her feet he gazed up at her in wondering wistfulness and ardent admiration never was there a woman so bewilderingly beautiful as she what were the sufferings of nergalus now what was anything compared to the strangely enervating ecstasy he felt in letting his eyes dwell fondly on the fairness of her face the whiteness of her half-veiled bosom the delicate sheeny dazzle of her polished skin the soft and supple curves of her whole exquisite form and spellbound by the witchery of her loveliness he almost forgot the very presence of her dying victim occasionally indeed he glanced at the agonized creature where he lay huddled on the ground in the convulsive throes of his dreadful death struggle but it was now with precisely the same quiet and disdainful smile as that for which he had momentarily hated saluma there was a sound of singing somewhere singing that had a mirthful under-throbbing in it as though a thousand light-footed fairies were dancing to its sweet refrain and nergalus heard it dying inch by inch as he was he heard it and with the last superhuman effort forced himself up once more to his feet his arms stiffly outstretched his anguished eyes full of a softened strangely piteous glory to die he whispered in awed accents that penetrated the air with singular clearness to die nay not so there is no death i see it all i know to die is to live to live again and to remember to remember and repent the past and with the last word he fell heavily face forward a corpse at the same moment a terrific roar resounded through the dome and the tigress Izeth sprang stealthily down from the dais and pounced upon the warm lifeless body mounting guard over it in an ominously significant attitude with glistening eyes lashing tail and nervously quivering claws a slight thrill of horror ran through the company but not a man moved Izeth, Izeth, called lycia imperiously the animal looked round with an angry snarl and seemed for once disposed to disobey the summons of its mistress she therefore rose from her throne and stepping forward with a swift agile grace caught the savage beast by the neck and dragged it from its desired prey then with the point of her little silver sandal foot she turned the fallen face of the dead man slightly round so that she might observe it more attentively and noting its livid disfigurement smiled so much for the beauty and dignity of manhood she said with a contemptuous shrug of her snowy shoulders all perished in the space of a few brief moments look you ye fair sirs that take pride in your strength and muscular attainments ye shall not find in all alciris a fairer face or more nobly knit frame than was possessed by this dead fool nergalus and yet lo how the silver nectar doth make havoc on the sinews of adamant the nerves of steel the stalwart limbs tried by the touchstone of death ye are with all your vaunted intelligence your domineering audacity and self-love no better than the slain dogs that serve vultures for carrion moreover ye are less than dogs in honesty and vastly shamed by them in fidelity 
she laughed scornfully as she spoke still grasping the tigress by the neck in one slight hand and her glorious eyes flashed as a mocking defiance on all the men assembled their countenances exhibited various expressions of uneasiness amounting to fear some few smiled forcedly others feigned a careless indifference saluma flushed an angry red and theos though he knew not why felt a sudden pricking sense of shame she marked all these signs of disquietude with apparently increasing amusement for her lovely face grew warm and radiant with suppressed malicious mirth she made a slight imperative gesture of command to gosra who at once approached and bending over the dead nerjalis proceeded to strip off all the gold clasps and valuable jewels that had so lavishly adorned the ill-fated young man's attire then beckoning another slave nearly as tall and muscular as himself they attached to the neck and feet of the corpse round leaden bullet-shaped weights fastened by means of heavy iron chains this done they raised the body from the floor and carried it between them to the central and largest casement of all that stood open to the midnight air and with a dexterous movement flung it out into the waters of the lake beneath it fell with a sullen splash the pale lilies on the surface rocking stormily to and fro as though blown by a gust of wind while great circling ripples shone softly in the yellow gleam of the moonlight as the dead man sank down 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 like a stone into his crystal quiet grave lycia returned to her throne with a serene step and unruffled brow followed by the sulky and disappointed isie smiling gently on theos and saluma she reseated herself and touched a small bell at her side it gave a sharp cling-clang like a suddenly struck cymbal and lo the marble floor yawned asunder and the banquet-table with all its costly fruits and flowers vanished underground with the swiftness of lightning the floor closed again the broad circular centre space of the hall was now clear from all obstruction and the company of revellers roused themselves a little from their drowsy postures of half-inebriated languor the singing voices that had stirred nerjalis to sudden animation even in his dying agony sounded nearer and nearer and the globe of fire overhead changed its hue from that of crimson to a delicate pink at the extreme end of the glittering vista of pale green transparent columns a door suddenly opened and a flock of doves came speeding forth their white spread wings coloured softly in the clear rose radiance they circled round and round the dome three times then fluttered in a palpitating arch over lycia's head and finally sped straight across the hall to the other end where they streamed snowily through another aperture and disappeared still nearer rippled the sound of singing and all at once a troop of girls came dancing noiselessly as fireflies into the full quivering pinkness of the jewel-like light that floated about them girls as lovely as delicate as dainty as cyclamens that wave in the woods in the early days of an italian spring their garments were so white so transparent so filmy and clinging that they looked like elves robed in mountain vapour rather than human creatures there were fifty of them in all and as they tripped forward they like the doves that had heralded their approach surrounded lycia flutteringly saluting her with gestures of exquisite grace and devout humility while she enthroned in supreme fairness with her tigress crouched beside her looked down on them like a goddess calmly surveying a crowd of vestal worshippers their salutations done they rushed pell-mell like a shower of white rose-leaves drifting before a gale into the exact centre of the hall and there poising bird-like with their snowy arms upraised as though about to fly they waited their lovely faces radiant with laughter their eyes flashing dangerous allurement their limbs glistening like polished alabaster through the gauzy attire that betrayed rather than concealed their exquisite forms then came the soft pizzicato of pulled strings and a tinkling jangle of silver bells beating out a measured languorous rhythm and with one accord they all merged together in the voluptuous grace of a dance more ravishing more wild and wondrous than ever poet pictured in his word fantasies of fairyland theos drank in the intoxicating delight of the scene 
with eager dazzled eyes and heavily beating heart the mysterious passion of mingled love and hatred he felt for lycia stole over him more strongly than ever in the sultry air of this strange night this night of sweet delirium in which all that was most dangerous and erring in his nature woke into life and mastered his better will a curious instinctive knowledge swept across his mind namely that saluma's emotions were the faithful reflex of his own but as he had felt no anger against his rival in fame so now he had no jealousy of his possible rival in love their sympathies were too closely united for distrust to mar the friendship so ardently begun nevertheless as he fell resistlessly deeper and deeper into the glittering snares they were spread for his destruction he was conscious of evil though he lacked force to overcome it at any rate he would save saluma from harm he resolved if he could not save himself meantime he watched the bewildering evolutions and witching entanglements of the gliding maze of fair faces snowy bosoms untwining limbs that palpitated to and fro under the soft rose light of the dome like white flowers coloured by the sunset and glancing ever and again at lycia's imperial sorceress beauty he thought dreamily better the love that kills than no love at all and he thereupon gave himself up a voluntary captive to the sway of his own passions determining to enjoy the immediate present no matter what the future might have in store outside the water-lilies nodded themselves to sleep in their shrouding dark leaves and the unbroken smoothness of the lake spread itself out in the moon like a sheet of molten gold over the spot where nergalus had found his chilly rest the curse of the dead nergalus shall cling yes possibly in the hereafter but now his parting malison seemed but a foolish clamour against destiny he was gone none of his late companions missed him none regretted him like all dead men once dead he was soon forgotten End of chapter eighteen